we're all called to trust God with our fertility. And that's true of people who can have babies, and it's true of people who can't. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer-Gormley, and I am joined today with Dave Van Vickle. I could not come up with a middle name, Dave. I'm sorry. This is You're, you're getting old oh, or just too busy, maybe. I know. <laughs> well, my wife, literally, as we hit record, my wife's like, hey, I need you to come pick up our daughter. She's having a meltdown. And I'm like, ah! Oh, Dave, fun. having a meltdown, Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? <laughs> good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm, I'm not having a meltdown at all. I'm calm and reserved and ready for this. You've had right? your so magnesium. I'm <laughs> You've taken your, yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Today, we have a very special guest with us today, helping us to continue our series on a reflection of how to evangelize the culture by looking at issues of sexual and medical morality and other issues that are tied to it. We have Emily Chapman with us today. Emily, how are you? I am good. I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. This is going to be great because you, number one, I feel like you are everywhere in the Catholic universe. Yeah. You yeah. are everywhere. <laughs> you are everywhere. And it was funny because I was asked to, to help put together a, a moral theology class for my local uh, ordinary parish. So I, of course go way too far and i buy like all these books i have like a dozen books that i have but i i drew on on the books that you helped write i love those the what is it the the truth and life series no what is it called oh the formed in christ there it is formed in okay. christ series yeah yeah those books are great they're very great yeah thank it was, you it was right up the alley for what we needed for our for our high school youths yep my husband is a high school teacher and he uses them yeah so. <laughs> well he better he used free bootleg <laughs> copies that he got from me but yeah nice. that's <laughs> nice, nice. How long have you been an author, uh, writer, blogger, all the things? For as long as a lot of people have been alive. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> long time now. Yeah. Um, for 20, over 20 years, I guess. In 2002, I started um, working. I went to Franciscan to do my master's in theology and started writing for the university and started blogging. And that is what I have been doing ever since. Nice. So. 21 nice. years now. Your writing career can now buy alcohol. That's beautiful. Her <laughs> career really took off when we were in the same office together at one point working together. That's when it really was. I mean, people say that at least. It was, like kind of <laughs> it was just being near Dave. I it was just Francisco. being in yeah. his aura, just his general like, aura. Right, yes. right. Correlation yeah. does not equal causation. <laughs> yeah. It's all that Holy Spirit just flying around. When were you two at the same office? Were I worked at? for a year after I graduated from Franciscan in the development office, and it was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I often describe the development office. Yes, that's true. Oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Well, so we have been journeying through, like I started off the show with, sexual medical morality and, and issues pertaining, life issues, relationship issues. And one of the things that often happens, in fact, at the Peoria conference, I was talking with someone. And they were talking about the kerygma. And they said, well, what are you going to talk about in your, in your conversation with priests? And I said, well, one of the things, I want to talk about the kerygma, but one of the things I want to talk about is a comment from Father Livio Molina, where we often hide behind the kerygma. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you, rose for you. We hide behind the kerygma. We hide the moral teachings of the church because we know there's so much disagreement, disunity, dissension. And so the church in America is you know, like, honestly, like in many of our leaders have become paralyzed 
at least they don't know how to negotiate this stuff, right? Because our cultures become so, let's just say, permissive and condoning towards a wide variety of issues. And it's rendered the church, you know, also having to do with her own sexual abuse scandals and whatnot, mute on a lot of these issues. And you see someone like a heroic witness like JP2, who, you know, after Pope Paul VI and Humanae Vitae, a lot of the church prelates became silent about contraception because they're so divisive. And then he spends, you know, five years of his pontificate doing the theology of the body. And things like this that I realize was happening in our culture as, as Catholics who are practicing their faith is... Many of us have not had the benefit of an undergraduate or graduate level theological instruction in morality, that we don't have these principles, right? We just all act on our emotions, like this feels good, this feels bad. And one of the hardest areas, one of the areas that are fraught with extreme emotions right out the get-go is areas dealing with infertility, right? And, and everything that goes with it. So we have a culture of IVF and surrogacy. My neighbor, she wasn't able to have kids. And her second husband that she married, he had an older daughter. And she, the older daughter loved the mom. And she was like, and she always called her mom. She goes, don't worry, mom. My first baby that I'll have, I'll give to you so that you can have a baby. And I remember hearing that. And she's like, isn't that sweet? And I was like, what in the <laughs> heck is going on? But this is, I have now, since that door was opened, I have seen this everywhere like yeah. this shocking view of they're like trading cards almost these human lives and so what we wanted to do is kind of you know bring it down to a human level and therein find the cross of christ and resurrection and talk about these issues how does that sound today sounds good sounds good would that be awesome if you were like nah i don't want to you just hung up the call <laughs> oh dave bail me oh, out dave, i was up with the kids last night I, yeah. yeah so yeah so what about your own i mean you're, you're very open and honest on your blog and your struggles with this stuff can you tell us on your own journey with infertility and and whatnot sure so i i married later in life um took took my husband and i a while to <laughs> we were friends for a long time but to come come together in marriage and so in those, in the months, in the year and a half or so leading up to when we got married, I am what you would call a choleric type AAA personality. <laughs> and so I approached, you know, the idea of getting, I knew I was not getting any younger and I approached it like I was going to be invading a small country. So probably a year and a half out from, you know, from marriage, like, oh, we're dating now. Okay, let me get on that that fertility thing. I started taking the supplements and, you know, following different fertility diets, napro doctors in advance to get, you know, hormone screens, see where we were at, all of, mm -hmm. like, if you could do it before you got married, I did it just to yeah. check everything out. <laughs> yeah. Did Chris know when he was, when this was happening? But yeah, because we've been friends for so long. So okay. marriage was really on the table. Right. Because this the, isn't just like no. talking about a house. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> we, were look, we were looking at like, it was, we did it all so back. Words. We did everything. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at engagement venues before he proposed, but I think we were looking at an engagement venue when he proposed. Right. So. I love it. Nice. <laughs> I was just proactive. I was yeah. being proactive, Dave. Right. Triple A, triple A, triple A, triple A proactivity. <laughs> but the doctors all said I looked great. You know, they're like, no, you, you seem fine. Your hormone levels are wonderful. You know, there's, you have every reason to think that you should be able to conceive with relative ease. But then we got married and didn't conceive with relative ease. And when you're older, infertility is a little bit of a different experience, I think, than when you're younger. It's always hard. It's always yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. It's always crushing. Yeah. But when you're older, that clock is already, it's like you're 
you're ticking. It's at the eleventh hour. You're ticking to midnight, and every month can feel like a year if you only think you have mm. a few years to to conceive. Wow. So several months in, we decided to have. I should have an exploratory surgery to see if anything was wrong. They couldn't find anything major, a few little bits of, you know, endometriosis, whatever. And said, I left the doctor's office with them saying, well, you know, six months to a year, you'll be back here pregnant, like delivering a baby. We'll see you, you know, six months to a year, you'll be pregnant, you'll have a baby. But another six months went by and I, we did more things. We did hormones. We did, Mm. you know, everything you licitly could do within NAPRO technology. There was one point I was taking so many hormones and so many supplements and eating all these particular foods. And I didn't know why I wasn't like spontaneously reproducing. Like Athena came out of the head of (laughs) Zeus. Like, well, I butted a child. You should just be there. Like, why is there one not? And it was, I mean, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through through personal like there's been other things that have been more intense but just in terms of who i was and yeah Yeah. you know i'd been a good catholic girl all my life (laughs) like i i had done all the things and i thought there was supposed to be a baby at the end like i waited for the guy and i married a good catholic guy and i'd been working for god for almost 20 years at that point and like surely my reward should be a baby and there was no baby and so I had to, you know, I had to really wrestle with what babies were, you know, were babies a blessing, were they rights? So I had to wrestle with who I was. You know, I, I've written books about theology of the body. I've spent years studying oh, yeah. it. Right. And so I, I understood on a profound level, like what it meant to be a woman and to be this nurturer of life and creator of life. And I felt betrayed by my body. So I, yeah. I felt betrayed by my body. I felt guilty because I wasn't being the type of Catholic wife and mother I was supposed to be. I wasn't producing Mm. the children for my husband. So I felt like a failure as a wife, a failure as a Catholic, a failure as a woman. It's interesting you say that because we were told by our OBGYN, who was named Dr. Love, we were told by him that after he took one look at our chart that we would never be, he said, never say never, but you will probably never be able to have kids. He's like, we'll do whatever we can, but you need to start stealing yourself for that reality. Now, joke was on him. We were already three days pregnant. <laughs> the weight of that, and and then later we would experience long period of infertility followed by multiple miscarriages and then a hysterectomy. And it was so brutal. But my wife would say the exact same thing you did. And this is something that's a lot harder for men to understand. Like, yes, there's disappointment, there's sorrow, there's grief. But my wife said the exact same words. I felt betrayed by my body. And this notion of like, I'm letting God, someone, something, the universe, the human race, like down somehow, you know, however she internalized it, she did the exact same thing you you did, right? Like immediately the next day, she's on every website, reading every article, changing every food, diet, supplement, all the stuff. And it was, you know, all the medicine, Western and Eastern and everything in between, like, and it was just like, nope, nothing, you know, that language is... It's pretty powerful, and and it's something as a man that I could just, like, step back and observe and sympathize, but that empathy part is so hard. Well, women are so integrated. You know, we, like, the life is created within us. It's a a process that happens inside of us. It always happens outside of men, and so that integration, I think, makes infertility just hit you on a different level. Yeah. Not that men aren't terribly sad and disappointed. It's just... You don't necessarily feel like you're failing the universe. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Right. It's just a different, it's a different experience. Yeah. I think too, I mean, I hate when people say this to me and I'm about to say it to you, but like, <laughs> you know, being in Pittsburgh and you're like a, I mean, not just local celeb, Catholic celebrity, you're a Catholic celeb, right? And people knew and it was very eye-opening to me as a man, like how many people 
were like kind of going through this journey with you, right? Because it was you're wonderful about sharing everything and how impactful it was on people. Like I just had no idea how many people like were feeling this way. And it was like kind of like you gave them a voice. And I remember thinking like, well, I don't know. I mean, at least at least we're getting this out of it, right? Like at least that's <laughs> happening. Like like I felt terrible, but at least we're getting this out of it, you know? It's Happy like, to be of use yet again, yeah, Lord. Right, yes. Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I think so before I before I had married, before I was dating, I actually did some writing on infertility. When I was writing for Franciscan, I interviewed like half the Franciscan University alumni on the planet. But we did a feature story on infertility a couple of times. And I'd also done some OSV stories. And what always came through when I interviewed those people was how most people don't want to talk about it. You know, they call it the hidden cross because they do feel ashamed. They do feel like something's wrong with them. They don't know how to share it. And so I felt when I was going through it, it was important for me to share it just to let people know that they're not alone and there's other good right. Catholics out there who are trying and it's not happening. And I think when you speak about the pain, when you find a way to communicate it to someone, that's when grace really gets in. I think if we keep it too much to ourselves, we don't give God the opportunity to work yeah. as much. And so for me, I feel like I have to model this for people yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that they know they can... It's like cancer in some ways. You don't, it's not your fault that you have cancer. It's not your fault that, you know, as it turned out, right. I had endometritis that went undiagnosed. And mm. so it was not my fault I had endometritis. Yeah. It's just a disease and it happens. So, yeah. When I was doing work at my parish, it was about maybe six years ago, five years ago, a woman came into my office or the deacon brought me into his office. That's how it went. And it was, she was there basically saying, I'm going to get IVF because I can't take this infertility. My husband says, uh, I will never raise another man's kid. So we're adoption is out. Right. And just like, and I was like, oh gosh, like what a yeah. brutal attitude. Yeah. And she looked at the deacon and then she was saying this to me too. She said, I want you to convince me that what I'm doing is wrong because I know the church says it's wrong. I've read the catechism on it, but I just feel in my heart that God is okay with it, with her getting IVF. And so the deacon started talking and he's, he's like, well, you know, if you're following the Lord and if you're praying and if you don't lose that relationship, because after all, a sin is, is not so much the violation of a law, but the breaking of a relationship. As long as you keep that relationship, I, I think, yeah, you just, you just follow the Lord and do what you think is best. Follow your conscience. Mike, and I just went, no. Yeah. no i said oh god so, uh, the whole time i'm like i'm like oh mary oh mary you better intercede for me with oh, I, I need help here and because it, yeah. it was like he set me up for failure he wasn't intending to and god bless him he didn't go to franciscan he went to another catholic college that'll go nameless but uh no so he he said that and he goes i, I think mike mike might disagree with me mike what do you say and i just looked at her and i uh, this was the holy spirit and he, i just said every time we're hanging on the cross. It can feel like it's the voice of God offering us to get down. Yeah. And I was like, but it's not. Sometimes the only thing we can do is just hang there. And in that moment, receive whatever we can receive from it. And I was like, and, and God, I don't know, you know, if this is going to be a lifelong struggle. I don't know if this is a temporary thing. I don't know if this is some medication or surgeries can fix. But I do know that we ought not to do evil so that good may come. And that's the temptation that you are battling because you're struggling against something that's not a sin. It's just an ailment, a sickness, a, a wound, but you're trying to fix it by any means necessary. And Christ is calling you to another way. 
And so she was, there was a lot of crying going on in the office. I think actually I cried more than, than she did. I'm very emotional if you can't figure that out yet. Uh, and, and she left and I, I never heard from them again. So I don't know how the story turns out. Yeah. There was a lot of going through, you know, arguments and stuff like that. But what, what, do you, what do you say to someone who's in that position? How do we express a pastoral love that wants to see them in heaven, you know? And I tell them I understand. Yeah. Like, I understand the deep, deep desire for a baby. And IVF holds that hope out to you. There's this promise when nothing else is working. And I can remember... Gosh, it must have been it was just a few months before we decided we began the adoption process. We had gone on a pilgrimage and we were in a we were in adoration at this chapel. And I was just sobbing, like just on my knees before the Eucharist, sobbing. And I was angry <laughs> because I knew too much to do IVF. Like yeah, I right. I was angry at God. I was like, oh, I it's not that I didn't even disagree with it. Like I was just angry that I understood and agreed with it. I was like, I know this is right and I know yeah. all the reasons and I accept it. And I wish I'd never right. gone to Franciscan and learned all this stuff and studied the theology of the yeah, body right. because I just want a baby. And so, like, I get why if you don't, and I have how much formation <laughs> in <laughs> the church's teachings on sexuality. And it was hard for me to accept sure. that. Yeah. So I completely understand when someone who hasn't spent their entire life writing about the theology of the body yeah. struggling to accept that. But, you know, we have to step back from that and say, First, what is a child? Like a child is is their own person. A child is is not something we're entitled to. It's it's a a child is a blessing and a child has rights. And the first right a child has is to be conceived in an act of love between two people. Yeah. Not to be conceived in a laboratory where they can be disposed of if they're slightly not perfect. You know, like they have that right to be conceived in love by their parents. And rape is a violation of that right. When a child is conceived in rape, it's a violation of that right. And IVF is a violation of that right. And it doesn't make the child that's conceived any less precious or beautiful or holy right. or loved by God, but that child's rights were violated from the start. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to step back from what we want and start thinking about the child. And then you look at what the fruit of IVF is, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of frozen human lives that we don't there's no way out. Like we, we you know, they, yeah. there's no licit way for these babies to live. And we've trapped these poor souls in this kind of frozen state that is, it's, you know, it's a, it's a devastating, the child's rights just keep being violated. First, this child's conceived out of love, then it's frozen and not given a chance to live. And then maybe it's donated to somebody else. Like this child's just passed around with right after right after right being violated yeah. so yeah. that we can have a baby. And it is, it's a hard truth to get your head around because the desire for a child is so real and so yeah. good and so holy, but there's always unholy means that we can pursue. And so we have to, we have to think about the child and not yeah. just about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful way to look at it and such a personal way to look at it. I, you know, when you, when you think about like the evils that like, you know, have come on the earth and like, you know, just like you kind of shudder to think about things like, like Nazism, right? Or you shudder to think about things like abortion, like all this. And and when you kind of think about in vitro, like you would never put that in the line, right? But like the truth is that there are hundreds of thousands of babies dying because of of this problem, right? Of this issue. And people don't realize, like, I don't think like, you know, it's you, never just one that's 
that's placed right it's it's several usually that they're trying to hope that one will take or something like that like it this is a massive problem i mean it's yeah. it's a major moral issue for us like well, yeah. it's the commodification of the child yeah. and then we see the ramifications throughout the entire life you know, where yeah. like that seeing a child as a person with dignity and a personality of their own and desires of their own and god has a unique plan for them when we start life thinking about our child as a commodity that we have a right to Right. Not to say that people who create a child through IVF do not love their children, right. but society-wide, there are ramifications and implications for how we see human life. And increasingly, you know, contraception really in some ways is at the heart of this because right. a child is no longer a gift. A child is a choice or a child is a mistake. Like it's it's one yeah. of those two things. And so when you end up having pregnancies that aren't planned, you know, you've screwed up, like you've made a yeah. mistake. You haven't received a gift from God, you've screwed up. And I think just our view of the child is so twisted at this point. Mm. What does it do to our mindsets towards children? Right. right? Like that whole thing, the cultural question that you're talking about is what freaks me out the most because you see, like there's, there's these famous YouTubers and they put everyone's i mean their whole existence is on youtube and all this stuff and they adopted a kid and it was all a part of their youtube thing and well it turns out that these youtube narcissists found it very difficult in their lifestyle to have a kid so they ended up giving the kid back oh, right and so but you have like the thing of like you were saying the rights being violated you just passed from person to person or you're a thing to be traded commodified you're inconvenient to me or, or now's the perfect time. I'm, I got the money. I got the life situation, circumstance right. I like. Now I'm ready to welcome a child as long as they're, you know, 1.2 children and they don't interfere with our vacations and stuff. And, that, and that's a crude way of putting it. But, like, people don't realize this stuff is happening mentally to our culture where you have these permanent things. Like, when you ask a doctor to become an abortionist or someone who engages in euthanasia, you're asking for the cultural icon of life and health right. to become a death dealer. And then death doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Right? See, that's the thing that people don't understand. Then we love killing. Then killing is just another, it, it's, it's option C. Yeah, yeah, try to save their life. Yeah, give them ordinary care or kill them, you know, whatever. And we don't even see the, the degradation, right? So what makes, from a Catholic perspective, what makes IVF, which seems like, or, or surrogacy, Right, we're on top of the rights of the child. Like we're trying to bring life. You know, I thought you were a pro-life church. That's what a one woman who who only attended one of my RCIA classes she said to me. She's like, "There are women in my Baptist church who think it's that God has put it on their heart to be surrogates," and I was like, "They're wrong." But like, we can talk about it, and we talked about it for two hours, and she was like, "Cussed me out and left," and she wasn't even one of them. <laughs> So what is it? What is it that makes something like reproductive assistive technologies that you, you had mentioned illicitly? What what makes certain things illicit in the eyes of the church? Well, whenever you have the getting really terminology, I try not to use too much when I'm writing about it. But when you separate sort of the unitive and procreative means of marriage, so you know a child is meant to be conceived in a loving act of union between the husband and wife, and in many ways that is a reflection of the Trinity. And, yeah. you know, we have father giving himself to the son and the son receiving everything from the father. And there's a third person because their gift is so complete. One of the ways we image God is that when we make a gift of ourselves to one another and in love, new life mm. comes forth. A third person comes forth. So when you start separating the unitive and the procreative, you're marring the image of God in 
you and the person that you love or that you are doing the procreative thing with doing the procreative thing with the procreative thing. What is that an allusion to? I I don't understand your church speak. (laughs) My husband is always, he's very big on like sex is a baby making event. And our culture has forgotten that like contraception has made us forget that sex is a baby making event. So when you're doing something that should be a baby making event, but you've taken active steps to not let it be a baby making event, or when you're making a baby, but not doing the fun thing, that's a baby making event. Right. Like that, you really are being less than who God made you to be. You're bringing another person into sin with you. They're, you're making helping them to be less than God made them to be. Yeah. You're violating God's plan for, for human life where a child, you know, I'm an adoptive mother. We have three children and I know God was working from all eternity, you know, to, to deal with the brokenness of this world. And we are so grateful that he entrusted those children to us. But like yeah. biologically, they were made to be raised by their parents. Like that's how God meant it from the beginning. Each person was to be raised in a loving family with a mother whose heartbeat they had known from their conception and a father who they could look in their face and see that like, I am from him. Like we're made to know who we are. And so when you start separating all those things, you just, life becomes more complicated and there's trauma and there's difficulty. And it doesn't mean that God can't bring something beautiful out of that. And children who come forth from IVF are beautiful. My children and our family is beautiful, but you know, there's also trauma involved. And if you talk to some of the children who are conceived in IVF, you will hear that trauma because they often don't know how, what sense to make of what their parents did, especially if there were donor eggs or donor sperm involved. There's a lot of anger from these adult Ivy. Some of the teenagers struggle because they don't want to be mad at their parents. My husband teaches high school. But then I hear from adults later on in their 20s and 30s, and they're angry at their parents' decisions. They're like, I was just treated like an object. Like I could be, yeah. I could be brought into this world. Right. And it didn't matter who my, you know, where I came from or what was done to conceive me. So again, it's just layers of trauma whenever we violate God's plan for love and marriage. I've thought about this for years as you guys were adopting. Because I, I was kind of blessed to be involved a little bit, right? Like I remember Chris like texting me about praying for you guys and stuff like that. And I loved it. You were was super pretty, involved in Toby's yeah, re- life. I remember. I remember. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember thinking like when you were going through this, because I have three adopted siblings and Amber and I always wanted to adopt, but we never you know got a chance. I remember thinking like, you know, we had some traumatic pregnancies and it was like tumultuous and it was hard and it was heartbreaking. And there were yeah. things that like happened. You were stressed. And I remember thinking like, well, this is just like this is just like what we've gone through. Like, like she's going through all this stuff, you know, because it wasn't easy. And it, there, like you said, there's something beautiful that comes out of it, and that it was like even before it was like you and Chris were mother and father to these children. You know, it's, it's like a beautiful thing. I think like there's is a weird thing now about adoption where people are like, I'll do anything but that. Like that, there, there's like kind of a stigma about this now. It's very strange, you know. It's so strange because I'll you know I'll hear from I will say so. One of the advantages to having known so much going into infertility is that my idea of spiritual motherhood was like, I understood that spiritual motherhood was the heart of all motherhood. You know, it wasn't a consolation prize. It wasn't a second thing. It was what physical motherhood pointed to. And John Paul II talks beautifully about who the woman is, is revealed through motherhood, but physical motherhood is is just a sign of the true motherhood to which all women are called. And so I had probably an easier time than some people transitioning to, well, I want to be a mother. You know, Chris and I asked ourselves that at one point, like, do we want to be pregnant or do we want to be parents? And 
We wanted to be parents. Like yeah. pregnancy would have right. been fine. I don't feel like I missed out on anything because our adoptions were so incredibly tough. They were. Yeah. They were, right. Like, I, you know what? I Labor seems kind of easy compared to right. some of those things. But I knew that, like, I wanted to be a mother. Like, I felt that on my heart. And I'd been a spiritual mother, like, as a single woman. Through through my writing, I'm a spiritual mother. It was, but I was like, well, why would we not be generous and welcome any children God wants to entrust to us in this home, however he wants to entrust them? Yeah, that was probably for us. It was easier, but yeah, it was loving a child is loving a child. I mean, right. my friends were lucky right. I didn't walk out of the delivery. I helped lots of my friends give birth, and they're lucky <laughs> yeah. I didn't walk out of the delivery room with those babies. I'm like, let me hold the baby for ten <laughs> seconds. I'm bonded. So like, yeah. hi, see ya. Yeah, it was ne- neither of us. Chris and I were never worried about that part, and like that's the easiest part. Loving the child through adoption is yeah. far and away the easiest part of adoption yeah i think of jd flynn who you know the founder of the pillar and and a journalist he was i've known him for years and we were talking way back in the day when he had just adopted maybe it was a year after he had adopted his second child and they had you know, one of the things that's tragic about adoption is the high level of selection that certain people have well i want a child that looks like this and has that you know and there's almost this culling of the gene pool of of what i want you know for my for my baby right and so often kids with special needs get passed up and he had one child that he adopted that had down syndrome and the adoption agency came back and they're like will you please adopt this other child with down syndrome and he's like uh absolutely because they still hadn't had their own child and so he was like absolutely we will and you know it's not like their life has been you know, sunshine and rainbows, you know, like you're talking about, just because you do everything right doesn't make everything easy. The amount of blessing, like he, we're just sitting there eating wings across the street from a bowling alley in Denver. And he's just telling me about his life. I was like, what, what it's like being a dad. But that's where I first heard, because I guess I've been so in the pro-life anti-abortion movement, right? I'm the guy holding up the Knights of Columbus sign that says adoption is the loving option. But what you said, you hinted at what JD said flat out. He said the greatest gift would be for that child to be raised by their biological mother and father in a loving home. And because that can't exist, the next greatest gift is for us to be the adoptive parents, right? To to have a loving home where even though, yes, it does think that we're trying to repair the rights that were already violated by other people. He's like, but God in his mercy and in his glory is enabling this to happen. And that was the first time that like that understanding of rights language was really communicated to me in a way that, because for me, the, when we talk about adoption, it's usually the other way, like, yeah, we don't talk about the rights of a child, right? We talk about, you know, culturally, we talk about, oh, good, you got a child, you finally got the baby that you've been wanting and all this stuff. But yeah, when you think about it from the rights of the child, like, you are intervening and you quite honestly saving that kid's life from what could be just a whole series, a whole, a whole cascade of violating their human dignity, right? I mean, if you're good parents, you are. I mean, if you're good parents, <laughs> if you're good parents. You know, yeah. there's, that's what you hope, yeah. you know, that you're loving. I mean, so JD and Kate are friends, but I had interviewed them for both my stories about adoption and infertility back way before I was. So they help shape how I think about adoption in lots of ways. You know, there is, there is real trauma for the child, like in separating them from a birth mother, there's, yeah. Because suddenly they're like being given to a whole nother person who sounds different and smells different and feels different. But oftentimes there's traumatic pregnancies. So whether there's drug use or the stress of the mother not knowing she was pregnant, maybe she was the baby was conceived in rape, however it is, 
So you have a child who went through a traumatic pregnancy and then a traumatic separation. And you do have to recognize that and parent a little bit differently, especially in the early years, because you have attachment. It, you need to work yeah, on attaching right. the child to you and helping them to know they're safe and learning those things. But it's not easy to raise anybody. It's right. not easy to raise children. <laughs> Everyone comes into the world with a brokenness in them. And, yeah. you know, we're walking around in a completely traumatized world. So I don't think those are good reasons to not adopt because you'll hear that. You're like, oh, they're going to have issues. What if they resent me? And I was like, <laughs> I got a lot of friends with biological teenagers and they all resent them. Yeah. So It's called being <laughs> a teenager. Right. <laughs> so I'm like... Everyone has identity issues yeah. when they're 14. I yeah. mean, that's yeah. just what right. happens. There's like a 10-year identity crisis for most yeah. people. Especially dating. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's really about am I doing the right thing and I'm loving them in a way that God's yeah. calling me to love them and responding to who they are. And am I healed myself. So that's something that, you know, infertility is such a wound. And if you race into adopting without having done some of the healing you need to do from the infertility, like mm, people who resentfully adopt, people who think yeah. of adoption as plan B, people who think the child they adopt is going to fill the need from the children they might have lost through miscarriage, you really do have to do, do real healing yourself. And for me, it was this great irony. So right before we began the adoption process, I was writing a study for Endow on Humani Vitae. And I was super ticked about it because the last thing I wanted to do was make Catholics who could have babies feel good about like right. having babies. I'm yeah, like, right. what's wrong with you people? You right. don't even know. I don't want to write this. But the study was so convicting for me because as I was reading Paul the Six Words, I realized like we're all called to trust God with our fertility. And that's true of people who can have babies. And it's true of people who can't. I had to trust God with the fact that my fertility was not very fertile. So like, <laughs> I had to trust him with my infertility, the lack of babies. And recognizing that was profoundly healing for me and really laid the groundwork for adoption. Because I was like, okay, God, this is your plan. You could heal me if you wanted to. You could, you know, Mary conceived without even having, doing the procreative activities, you know? So yeah. if Mary can conceive that way, I certainly could. And if I'm not, it's because you have something else for me. And I trust the goodness that you would not be permitting this unless there's something good you could bring out of it. And pretty much as soon as I got to that point, God opened the floodgates for adoption and we were just yeah. catching babies at that point. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it, I mean, it honestly was a lot like when you have a baby because I even remember a text message that was like, the next 45 minutes are crucial. Pray right now. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is like when the, when the, when the doctor's like, all right, it's time to push. You know, it's like... <laughs> I think yeah. our, yeah. our adoptions were a little more dramatic than some, yeah. not all adoptions are, but <laughs> right. adoption is tough. You have broken people and yeah. the yeah. woman doing yeah. the hardest thing in the world, which is giving up her child. Yeah. And yeah. they're not keeping that baby for a reason, you know? Yeah. So there's right. all of that comes into play. And, but it was, but anyhow, it was, yeah, it was, I do think that healing from infertility and learning to trust God with your fertility yeah. is something that has to happen before adoption. I was I was talking to a, a priest yesterday about I went to like several different kinds of liturgies in the last month. Okay, like like new ones, and I was saying how like one of them, you know, there there were times when I would want to cheer, and sometimes when I would kind of roll my eyes like over and over and over again. Okay, but but <laughs> one of the things that like came up is like how how much I wanted to control everything mm -hmm. in this. Okay. And I think like children take away control and modern man, for whatever reason, this is a major issue, a major stumbling block in our growth in discipleship is the idea of control. 
And somebody was just telling me that they were on like a, a dating website, like a Christian dating website. And one of the questions is like ideal number of children, you know? And it's like, what do you, what does that mean? Like, so what will happen if we hit that number? Like, am I done here or something like that? Do you know what I mean? Like, but it's like this is idea. The, is the only answer when my quiver is full? Right, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, you know what I mean? I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. I'm just saying we, we want to plan and control everything. And I think like, it's it's a wonderful lesson pedagogically right from god to teach us that we're not in control and that's okay something beautiful comes out of it anyways you know yeah and i love to be in control like i love oh, love, love control and but there's nothing like like infertility was a check on that small children are a check on that like i right. cannot i yep. cannot control my children like right. i they won't eat what i want them to eat they the three-year-old won't potty train. He's like, no, I can control this and you cannot. I will not, I will not use <laughs> right. that potty, even though I totally could if I wanted to. It's yeah, it's a continual surrendering of yourself. And infertility, there was this moment when I was speaking at a conference and we were, it was a big Catholic family conference, and we were in the height of our battle with infertility. And I was in the back during Eucharistic adoration. And there's all these babies everywhere, you know, because mm, the babies so are hard. always in the back so of the conference. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I was just weeping, not because of the babies that were there. You're glad for the babies that are there. I was weeping for the baby that wasn't there. I was weeping for the baby that wasn't in my yeah. womb, wasn't in my arms. And I was just looking at Jesus in the Eucharist. And I felt, you know, I approached him at first, like, why are you doing this to me? Like, I've done so much for you. Why are you doing this to me? And looking at him there, you know, under the guise of bread and wine, I could just see that. He's like, but look at what I'm doing for you. Like, I'm right. here for you. Like, I've made myself vulnerable. Yeah. Like, I'm a piece of bread and wine that can be maligned, misused, mocked. Yeah. I'm here for you, and I'm walking through you with this, and I'm hurting with you in it. Like, I hurt to see you hurt like this, but you have to trust me. And I think yeah. what I always tell to women who are struggling with infertility is, like, you have to go to the cross. You just have to kneel there. And it's like you said, you have to hang on the cross with them. You can't expect... It's not about changing the situation. It's not about controlling the situation. It's just surrendering to the situation and kneeling at his feet and closing your eyes and yeah. and just knowing like you're suffering with him. He's suffering with you. He's there with you through every second of it. And that helps. <laughs> like it really True. does help. It doesn't take the pain away, but it makes it endurable and it makes it graced. Yeah. So why would you say that adoption, now let's kind of put our moral theologian hat on, right? That adoption is more moral than IVF in when confronting infertility. Like if a couple has these options, right? With the, everything's an option now. Why should we encourage a Catholic couple to forsake IVF? Yeah, you say I'm separating babies from bonding, but at the end of the day, I get a baby. You already said the baby has enough dignity. You know, I'm not wounding the dignity. Why? Why should I? Like if you were talking to a mom today or a wannabe mom. Right. You shouldn't adopt. I mean, you should want to be a mom or a dad. Like that's yeah. basic. But you're adopting the child for the sake of the child. Like no matter how God might use the child in your life, like you're you're considering the child as a person and trying to do what's best for them. And I think it's important to remember adoption is the metaphor God uses to describe his relationship with us. Yeah. You know, he we are all God's adopted. When we are baptized, we become adopted children in, in Christ. And so if you feel like God is calling you to adoption, or if that's an option you think you should consider, like you need to reflect on that metaphor of God's, like this, this gracious love that extends outward and says, you know, I call you mine, like you are, are mine, and I'm going to give you my nature, <laughs> you know, I'm going to make you another Christ. So 
like to imitate God and to be generous in that way through adoption is an entirely different thing than to be selfish and say, no, my way, my rights, my needs. It's a completely different focus. One is imaging God. One is really imaging Satan. So Wow, powerful. We're going to come back in just a minute after hearing a message from our sponsors here at Ascension Press, and we'll come back with just the end of our conversation here on in vitro fertilization and infertility and the Catholic response to that. As always, if you'd like to send us a question or an update, We'd love to hear from you, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. Hello, my name is Father Mark Toops, author of the Rejoice Advent Meditation Series. And if this Advent you're looking for a peaceful encounter with God, I invite you to order a copy of Rejoice, an Advent pilgrimage into the heart of Scripture, year B. You can find out more at rejoiceprogram.com. God bless you. All right, and we are back. We are here with Emily Chapman, and we are talking about the Catholic response to infertility and other issues. And one of the things that is a common response today, right? JP2 said this, I think, in Love and Responsibility, that mankind is always trying to replace virtue with technology, right? And, you know, instead of being chased, we use contraception, you know, all these things that we try to remedy concupiscence with, with techne. And so I was reading this article from Mary Harrington, she wrote a book recently called Feminists Against Progress, and fascinating woman. I, I love a lot of her stuff. It, it's it's incredible. But one of them is on the rise of, basically, there are a bunch of Chinese companies and some U.S. companies that are trying to create artificial wombs. The initial thing is, well, these wombs will be able to help women who have infertility issues and, you know, whatever, in order to bear children, women who, you know, are going through illness and they can't conceive or they can't sustain a, a life within the womb, but Mary pointed out how this will further commodify the female body and further commodify little ones to the point where we are going to be staring down the barrel of a horrific, like a true hellscape of abuse. And one of the things she pointed out was there are rings of abusers that have been busted where they take poor women, pay them $10,000 to be money that they would never see pay them $10,000, they have IVF or they, you know, whatever. And then these abusers keep the baby, right? And now they're like, do you understand what would happen if we compound this, this notion of the baby is commodified with artificial wombs, with even more technology, more intervention, more commodification? Like we will quite literally own all future generations. Yeah. And it's a, it's a sci-fi dystopian hellscape, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I keep thinking of this stuff. Are are you? Um, uh, this is going to be such a lame question, but what do you think of that? <laughs> like, like, right? Like, when I came across that, my brain would never go there. But then again, my neighbor's like, "Yeah, my daughter's going to give away her kid, and you know, doesn't matter." And what is this? What are we doing as a culture? No, we're so. I mean, this is what it's like. You see in in Old Testament, you know, Israel. You break the you break a little law, and it leads to a bigger law, and a bigger law, and a bigger law. It always snowballs. Like God's yeah. laws are for us; <laughs> like they are meant to protect right. us from ourselves. Yeah. And when we start breaking one, of course, it's a domino effect. Everything it's just boop, 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 boop. Everything that's nobody can see my little hands. But yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> All the laws fall over. We got it. We're, we're a mess, it. and we're wounded, and we're traumatized, and we're like, "What went wrong? Why do I? Why am I so depressed and sad?" Because you've just walked away from the source of your life and you've 
cast off all protection. So no, hellscape is a good way to. I I think that's a hundred percent true. I think everybody's asking like you know in the in the face of transgenderism, in the face of abortion, in the face of all this, like when is God going to punish us? And it's like. Do you see what's happening? Like, this is the punishment here. Like, like we're we're yeah. living it. Like, we are it's, living it. This is all the fruit of the sexual revolution. Right, like, this, right, the sexual right. revolution's grandchildren are lost Monsters. and confused. Are men and women who no longer know what it means to be man or woman, no longer know the value of fatherhood or motherhood, and no longer care about the next generation. This is what we've become. What What is the phrase that St. Paul uses? And he gave them up to their own desires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the ultimate exactly. form of God's punishment and wrath is you don't want me, then I withdraw. Yeah. And you get you. And you alone is is pure hell. Oh. Yeah. And which is why we go back to, you know, we talked about how you feel like priests can sometimes, we sometimes hide behind the kerygma. But the kerygma is so important. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I spent a lot of years just writing this, writing the moral theology, doing the moral theology. Mm -hmm. And eventually I'm like, nobody can even hear this because they have no idea who they are. Like they don't know that they're loved. They don't know that God loves them. They don't know what it means to have a relationship with God because they think God is there judging them or not caring about them. And so finding ways to integrate like the charisma and moral theology together is so paramount because People are so wounded they can't they can't always even hear yeah. the conversations. Right. And it's tough. I mean, it's so tough to even have somebody willing to listen to a moral theology discussion. I always feel like I should do backflips or something. Right. <laughs> right. And you have in your lovely book on the theology of the body. How about that for a segue? <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. These beautiful bones and everyday theology of the body. Yes. So those are day. I always oh. call that the non it's the non-sex theology of the body book because nice. I was a single woman at the time, and I had to think about what the theology of the body had to say about other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. it's reflective on how the theology of the body can be integrated into everyday relationships and life and what we work and how we work, what we wear, how we eat, those sorts of things. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Where can people find the book? It's published by Emmaus Road, so through the St. Paul Center, but you can always find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Ask your local Catholic bookstore to carry it. That's always appreciated. Nice. 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 Well, Well, thank you so much for taking your time and and coming on the show and helping us round out this image of not just looking at these moral issues as, you know, lifeless arguments on a page, but like the the felt reality of what it means when you hear your doctor say, like, I'm sorry, you know, your infertility, adoption, all these issues. They're so important. And yeah, thank you for your witness, especially going through all that and your your adoption. Your website, what's your website? I just had it up. Doo, doo. Uh, you know, really the best place to follow me is on Substack. So, I'm on Instagram a lot, but Substack is where I do, I'm doing most of my real writing right now. Gotcha. My wife follows you on Instagram, but her account was just hacked and I am so happy. Oh, no. It. I am so happy about it. So, <laughs> if you want some <laughs> cryptocurrency, text my wife. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, you can find show notes. Shoot us a text message, EKSB to 33777. Get on our mailing list. We promise we won't spam you. God bless y'all. Bye.